Almighty God. We are but few and weak, but we come to you with a hunger and a thirst, trusting in you to fill and to bless and to, as you broke those few loaves and fishes and multiplied it, Lord, that you also can do far more than we could ever expect from the, the weak uh, offerings that we give you. Father, we pray that your name would be glorified, that our hearts would be stirred as we would recognize and the truth of your word and that we would be changed by that living word that would bear fruit in our lives, that you would be lifted up and all men be drawn to you. Father, we pray this in full dependence and trust in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord has laid in my heart to uh, meditate this morning on the the epistle to Colossians, the first chapter, epistle of Paul to Colossians, chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit, For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. The Lord is worthy that we bow before him in prayer. A loving Father in heaven, indeed thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and wisdom and power from thy lowly people here upon this earth. Yet we are created in your image and recreated in the image of Jesus Christ through your grace and through his shed blood. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the great gift of salvation of which perhaps we do not mention enough, do not praise thee enough for, do not or are not aware at all times of the great salvation wherewith we have been redeemed and what it took for us to obtain and receive the gift of eternal life. The life of your Son. As he shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary, as he hung between heaven and earth, as he cried out to forgive those that did this to him, for they knew not what they did. And as he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As you did for a 
But a moment, your word says, because he took upon himself the sin of the whole world. And you who are of purer eyes cannot behold iniquity. O Lord, help us to evermore be grateful, to realize just how great a salvation we have received by realizing and acknowledging how great a sinner's we were. Father, we pray for those that have not yet received that gift of life, that eternal life which Jesus promises to all that believe on him, and that only through him can this salvation be attained. That you are, O oh Lord Jesus, the way, the life, and the truth. And no man comes unto the Father but by you. Father in heaven, we pray that you would prick the hearts of all that are listening today. For those that have been redeemed to be reminded of the great salvation we have. What a great saviour we have. And for those that have not yet accepted that gift. They would be pricked in their hearts. And as the Jews of old did ask Peter, what shall we do? And that the response would come back to repent for the remission of sins and be baptized. O oh Lord, we pray that thou would stir each and every heart this morning that is here, and even those that are not here for whatever reason, in, bed, in sick beds, in difficulties, in struggles, we pray that your presence would go with them. You'd be their comfort and strength. Father, we pray for those that are not here because of illness, and even that are here but are uh, greatly struggling with an illness and we pray that you would touch their hearts, each and every one of them. We're reminded of Sister Olga, or dog Sister Olga Vukov, Sister Monica. We pray for the aged, for those that are, are shut in, feeble. We pray that not only you would visit them but we would visit them also and encourage them and strengthen and be blessed by the visits. Father, we pray for Kara Freeman, who has been um, suffering perhaps beyond measure that we can understand in the United States, a family that has given their lives in service to you in the mission field there. Father, we pray for the little daughter that is now going through so much hardship and difficulties as we often are updated by her state. Be her comfort, be her strength, and remove her pain and suffering, we pray, if it be your will. Father, we give you thanks for all things, knowing that in your hands our lives uh, are maintained and sustained. You are the one that gives life and breath to all, and you are the one that will take it away when it is our time. For it is appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. Father, be with Brother Edmund as you would expound your word, Speak through him and to us, for we pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I invite you to keep your Bibles open as the Lord has laid on my heart to, to simply let the word speak and to, to go through it and simply understand what God has to say to us from his living word. 
This chapter in Colossians is a very powerful one that raises up and helps us understand who Jesus is. We read in the beginning here how Paul and Timothy, who was his disciple, his apprentice, if you will, were writing to the church in Colossae, and after greeting them, he speaks of uh, hearing good things from them. In verse 4, if you're following along, he heard of their faith, and also he heard of their love, especially to those other saints, and these fruits that they had, and the hope that they had. Hope is a verse, a word that is spoken of quite a bit in this chapter. Hope is important because without hope, we despair. Without hope, we give up and we sink into depression and lose all power. Hope is important for people. But we don't need a living hope and a true hope, not a false one, in order to be able to sustain. And here, Paul is telling them they have a hope that is laid for them in heaven. And that they, it's based on the truth, the word of the truth of the gospel. The very same word that you and I are reading today was the word that gave them a hope to lift them out of Uh, a life that he speaks before you were at one time alienated, you were enemies with God, uh, you were uh, separated from him, and now you have a hope that you can be united with him forever beyond death and based on the truth of the living word. So what is this truth telling us? This truth came to them, and as it goes into the whole world, it says in verse 6, we're reading now, and the truth brings forth fruit. It brings a result. It changes us. Uh, It makes a difference uh, where it's received with faith and humility. And one evidence was that church in Colossae, it says, look, even you yourselves, God has changed you as a result of believing this truth about Jesus Christ and the good news. And ever since the day you heard it, we see a change. And since you knew the grace of God in truth. He names Epaphras, who was the very person who has served them, a minister, means a servant. He was a faithful servant of Christ, and he made known this truth to them. And we read about Epaphras in in other places, too. And that very same Epaphras came back to Paul and declared this fruit, the love in the Spirit, that was evidence that they were indeed uh, changed by the Word of God. So if you and I want to know if God's Word is having uh, an effect on us, if it's bearing fruit in us, that we're being changed by the the Word of God, we can see here that we can look to see if we have love. Do we love in the Spirit? We heard recently, we had, uh, oh, I guess that was an Ancaster. There was, uh, Brother Mike had a uh, special numbers, an inspiration hour, where he talked about the different Greek words for love. 
And there are some loves that, that are natural. The love eros, which is kind of the physical attraction. Uh, phileo love, which is kind of the family type of love. They, they, the commitment we have towards our friends. Um, but the love in the spirit is an unconditional love. Loving those who are unlovable. The kind of love that God had towards me when I was alienated and an enemy uh, in my mind by the wicked works that I did. That he would send his son to come and die for me. That's a love that is uh, unconditional that isn't just a natural result of of uh, the way I was responding to him it goes against it so when I can experience that kind of love towards not only my brother and sister but other people too and people who may be reacting in ways that are alienating that are pushing me away that are rejecting me when I can react to people who are doing wicked things that hurt me, and I can respond in love to them, then we know that isn't human. We know that doesn't come from our natural uh, desires. This is a love in the Spirit. This is a fruit of the Word of God that is actually operating in us and having an effect. So Paul says in verse 9, if you're following along, for this cause... We, Paul and Timothy, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So once you have believed the truth, once it's starting to operate in you and have uh, an effect, you see your attitudes change, you all of a sudden see people differently, you start caring and loving people, even though it may not be... um, a natural thing, you know it's from God. That doesn't mean say, okay, I'm obviously saved. God has changed me. I've arrived. I can now camp on this mountaintop. I can build my tabernacle here, and I'm done. I am saved. I'm ready to go to heaven. I have a hope that uh, is laid up for me in heaven. I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now things are good. So, Paul heard a good testimony, heard that they had achieved that very important not-to-be-dismissed milestone and that it, was a, it wasn't a shallow conversion, it was a real conversion. But he didn't say, okay, good, you're done, let's go on to the next one. He says, no, since that moment I've heard of this new eternal life that's living inside you, I haven't stopped, I haven't ceased to pray for you because now you need to grow. My, desire, my prayer and my desire for you that I've been praying unceasingly since I've heard of this new life that is brought forth in you is that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to be careful not to be complacent in Christianity, not to settle for, a, for um, just uh, getting our foot in the door of heaven. But we want to know God and we want to know his will. Now, when I know God's will, that implies that I'm willing to do it. In fact, that's usually how it works. God doesn't show his will for me 10 steps down the road if I'm not willing to take the first step that's in front of me. So if I want to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom, I need to be willing to submit myself 
which is a key condition of salvation, is that surrender of will, that dying to my own ego and self-direction and independence. So I'm willing to do what God wants. And when I am willing to do his will, then I start to see. My eyes are open. And the more I am willing and the more I surrender my will, to that degree, I am more filled with the knowledge of his will. I start to see what God wants to happen around me because I'm sur- I, am, I am in tune. I'm allowing my mind, my desires, my heart to be in tune with God. And so then I can become filled with the knowledge of his will. And that gives me wisdom. I start to see things the way God does. Not because I'm wise, not because uh, who I am, that now I'm somehow smarter, but it's because I'm not seeing things through my eyes. I'm not looking, what do I want to have accomplished? I'm not like saying, I wish this person would do this and I want this to happen because it benefits me. I'm seeing, what does God want to have happen in my circumstances? What's God's will concerning that person who's really being mean to me, who's really being unfair to me? What's God's will in these circumstances that are very painful and that I'm suffering with? What's God's will in in these trials or in these challenges that I'm facing? And I start to respond to them with wisdom rather than reacting in, in, in my own human perspective. From God's perspective, I see them the right way. And I understand them spiritually, understand the whys and the wherefores. Or maybe I don't understand the whys and wherefores. And maybe my wisdom and spiritual understanding is that I trust God when I don't understand. And that gives me a wisdom and a perspective that I can walk worthy, verse 10 now, of the Lord unto all pleasing. That is our highest aim, isn't to please ourselves. And this is a very counterintuitive thing that we can see in our culture that everyone is focused on pleasing themselves. It's I, Number one is me, and I need to please myself. I need to do what makes me feel good. If I feel good, it's right. It's, it's, and, and no one can make a law or any obstruction to me doing what makes pleases me. But here we see that we are created not to please ourselves. And when we go about pleasing ourselves, the funny thing is, the more focused we are on pleasing ourselves, the less pleased we are. The the less fulfilled we feel, the less uh, satisfied we are. And so we can see people who are blessed as Solomon was, and as, you know, perhaps your celebrities in in Hollywood or... or, um, whatever, people that have access to the means and they have the, the fame and the fortune and they can have whatever they want. And you can see that despite having access to pleasing themselves, they're not happy. You can see the, the relationship breakdown. You can see the depression. You can see even suicide but in, on those who are focused entirely on pleasing themselves. And the reason why that unintuitive thing is true is because God didn't design you to please yourself. God designed you to please Him. He designed for this world to work in harmony, to glorify, and to please Him. And there is a beauty in it when you surrender your own selfishness and you serve to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing you find a, a fulfillment inside yourself. You find you are happiest when you're not focused on your happiness. You are most pleased when you're focused not on pleasing yourself, but on pleasing the Lord. 
And you are most joyful when that is the case. So when we surrender, we're now filled with the knowledge. We see things from God's perspective. We're seeking to please God. That is our goal. And it is glorifying. It's walking worthy of the Lord. This produces fruit. Fruit in our actions. Fruitful unto every good work. And when we are doing that, we get to know God. We are increasing in the knowledge of God, not just knowledge of the Word of God. That's already happened. We start off knowing the Word of God. We start off then believing God, then having effect of the love being shed, of the Holy Spirit being shed abroad in our hearts, like Romans 5 says. And then we started to uh, know His will and see things His way as we surrender to it. And then we start to uh, live it in our lives. And after we live it, then we get to know who God is because we know it experientially. Knowing God isn't something you do in a monastery tower as you spend hours in prayer locked up, separated from the world. Knowing God is when God sent Abraham to sacrifice his son. And he said, now, you know, now I know you and I know your faith and you know me, you know my heart and how it's going to ache when I send my son to be that, that lamb, that ram, that is God provided in place, in our place. As we serve God, as Ezekiel served God and experienced his pain, as Hosea experienced God's rejection and a sense of rejection of Israel through his relationships, they got to know God. And as you see things the way God is, as you serve God and as you please God and you live it out, you start to feel and know God and you know his heart because you're experiencing it yourself. Knowing God isn't memorizing the word of God, it's living the word of God and knowing him personally. Strengthened. So now that we're doing this and we're starting to know God, we're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now what are you expecting to happen next? Now that you're knowing God, you've got all this power, do you think that the next verse is going to say, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, that you can cast out demons, that you can do miracles, that you can do mighty and glorious things? No. What is the strength and glorious power and all might of God going to produce in you? What's the, the biggest thing that's going to happen, that you're going to need God's glorious power? Let's read it together. Unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So, the tremendous spiritual power isn't manifested by doing, bringing fire down from heaven, by doing miraculous things, by doing things that bring great glory to people on the side of people. It's by actually suffering and being able to be joyful in the process by long-suffering and being patient and enduring trials with a joyful attitude. That takes more power than, than calling fire down from heaven. And that is where we're working up to. That is this pinnacle, this growth 
in your spiritual life. And we know when you not only love, when you not only uh, serve, when you not only live, when you not only see things God's way, but when you can endure with patience and long-suffering, enjoy the trials that you've given them, then we know that you are truly growing and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then we know that you are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This joyfulness, this joyfulness isn't some trick. This isn't some positive thinking. This isn't some Norman Vincent Peale thing. This isn't, you know, uh, some way of psyching yourself out. This is based on the fact that you can thank God in everything and you can realize that those, those thanks to God is the reality. The verse 12 says, giving thanks to God unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. When we see what God has done, even though we are going through trials and a dark time and pain and, and we've heard in the prayer that we have sisters in our midst that are going through a tremendous amount of pain and, and we want to be mindful of that. We want to remember them in prayer and, and see ways that we can, can encourage and help them. When, but when we're going through that, even in the midst of that darkness, it doesn't change the facts, the bigger picture of that there is a heavenly Father which has saved you. He's made you partake in the inheritance of, of saints. This is something that you know, we, we kind of take it for granted. We're on this side of, of the resurrection. You know, those people who were on that side of it had no hope. They didn't have this relationship with God. They didn't have this glorious power that could be inside of them, that, that Jesus Christ could be in them, the hope of glory, as we can read here. They saw these promises afar off, and they suffered in faith, but it was something that they lived as inspiring examples for us, but they never quite could have in their lives what you and I can have to partake in the inheritance of the saints in life, to, to be able to have that, that, that curtain that separated the holy holies ripped apart so we can come into the very presence of God and be his children, be forgiven, be redeemed by his blood. There is a victory that has already happened that we can have and that, that we do have, no matter what our circumstances, no matter our financial, our physical, our, our, our career, whatever, relational problems, whatever chaos is happening here, there's a deeper truth that does not change. That there is a victory. That we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. That we are vict victorious in him. That's why Paul can say in the end here, he rejoices, verse 24, in his sufferings for, for the church. And uh, that he sees that he is continuing to do uh, uh, what Christ suffered for the church and the afflictions of Christ. He also is filling up that which is missing, which is behind, uh, for Christ's body's sake, for the church. He, he actually sees it as a privilege to, like Jesus loved his body so much that he gave his life for it, I have the privilege of sharing in his suffering because I know it has a purpose that it builds up that very body that Jesus loved so much. 
And so he sees that as a privilege. Do we see it as a privilege to bring glory to God and demonstrate his glorious power and all might by having the privilege to suffer? By knowing that this is somehow working out and building up his church. Of course, that's if we are suffering in that process as as Paul is doing. This greater victory, we read in verse 13, Jesus, now the focus changes from us to Christ. And that is why, rather than focusing on what this looks like from my point of view, and I see these towering, scary giants of problems that intimidate me and are so far beyond my power and control and that I have no hope of overcoming, and it shifts to what Christ has done and who he is and how that can never be taken from me. And if I have that perspective, then I can have this joy no matter what the giants are saying. Verse 13, Jesus, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us, has transferred us, we are moved out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We are no longer under the power. We're no longer darkened because we're so focused on our own will and we don't see things and we're groping in darkness as Brother Alan preached recently. But we are out of not only the darkness of blindness but the power of the control of sin sin and Satan and we are now in the kingdom of his son. We're not kings. His son is the king but we are freed. That's a good thing. We are freed from our own dominion, or our, we thought it was our dominion, which is really the dominion of our sinful nature. And we are freed to serve and to be um, to freed from the power of all that corrupts us. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. This is something that we cannot fully appreciate and express. Because Jesus died, because he shed his blood, we can be forgiven and we can be redeemed. All our failures, all all the filth of our past can be redeemed, can now find new purpose. And we who have, have fallen so much, who were so alienated and enemies and with the wicked works and, 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 our, and what we were thinking, he is reconciled and redeemed. The, the condemnation is removed, the, the sentence of judgment is removed, and we have new purpose. Sometimes we leave it at that point of, okay, I'm forgiven, uh, I'm no longer I'm destined for hell, I'm no longer condemned by my actions, you know, now I can go live my own life without that hanging over my head. no. Jesus not only reconciled you to him, he redeemed you for a higher and greater purpose. Your life is so much more than the petty things that we worry about today. He has the things that will please him and make a difference for all eternity. Now, who is Christ? He is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that a bit of a contradiction? He is the image of the invisible God. The God who 
who is spirit, who we cannot see. The God whom, if we saw, we would fall down dead because it's too much to take. That, that God had to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and that he could only see his backsides because it was just too much. That we can't even hear because as he spoke as a tr- trumpet uh, on the burning, flaming mount of Sinai, the people said, please, we can't handle it. Christ is that image. We can now see who God is in Christ. He was the fullness of God dwelt in a man that could come down that you and I could hear and could see and could understand and could model our lives after so that now we could never understand God. Now we can see what would God do? What would God think if he was in my position? Because we can see what did Christ think. And as we read and we understand the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, as we read through those four different Gospels and the four different perspectives of how he lived, we can start to see this is how God thinks about me. This is how God thinks about lost people. This is how God thinks about hypocrisy. This is how God thinks about religion. This is how God thinks about Uh, uh, human um, uh, family relationships. This is how God thinks about making money. This is how God thinks about making right. Because we can see how Jesus thinks about these things. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God who we could not know because he was invisible and so glorious, a light we cannot approach unto. We can now know through the image that Jesus Christ gives us. He is the firstborn of every creature. We were dead. There was no pathway to life. And Jesus opened the matrix. He opened the womb. He made a way through his death and resurrection that we have a path to follow. That we can also be born Because this is not a mechanical path. We follow on our own power. We are born not by the will of man, John 1 says, but by the power of of God himself. And that we can have new life and we can be born through the passageway, through the first that he first went before us, the firstborn of every creature. And now we see a little bit more who Jesus is. He was not just the carpenter for Nazareth. He existed before time. By him were all things created. He's so much bigger than than just the man of Nazareth. He created everything. Not only did he create the, the entire universe, all matter and energy, Not only the things that are on earth or the things in heaven or all the galaxies that every time we we shine our our focus, our Hubble telescope on a patch of dark sky, we see as many more galaxies as we've ever seen before that we have not been able to come to the end of. Not only did he create this incredible universe, he created all things that are invisible. Matter and energy is not all there is. There is an entire spiritual realm that sometimes we ignore because it's not visible to us. But that doesn't mean that it's not important or relevant or uh, uh, something we sh- that is great and powerful. As, so all the invisible realm, 
the, all the supernatural realm, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, there's a lot there that I don't fully understand, that apparently the supernatural has a hierarchy to it, that there is dominions and thrones and principalities and powers. I don't know exactly how that's organized. I can't tell you what an archangel is versus a seraphim versus a cherubim and, 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 and how the fallen angels are, are organized. I can't tell you that, but there is a whole world there that one day we will see because we will have the eyes to see. But the point here is that Jesus is so much more. We need to lift him up. When we are feeling defeated by our circumstances, and then we think that the the, the creator of not only the vast universe, but all spiritual powers is inside of us, how can we feel defeated when he is so much greater He has made all things. He is before all things. He is the source of all things. And he is, by by him all things consist. He is the sustainer of all things. It's he that not only brought it into being, he's the one who keeps it uh, going and in being. Without him, it would all fall apart. He is the active sustainer of of all things that are. Now, we think this is great. The vast, measureless universe that we're barely scratching the surface of understanding. The vast supernatural realm that we have no hope of understanding. He says, now as if this is a higher point, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. To God... This second creation of the born-again believers in the church is bigger and more important than the whole supernatural realm, than the entire natural realm, is his precious body. And this is what Jesus is the head of. What he is, uh, he is the brain and, and, the, and the director of. This to God is his crown. This is his glory. The church has been put down so much by, of course, every you know, movie and media as, as a liberal society who try to mock the church as an institution and, and, and focus on all of its errors through history and, and all of its frailties. And, and as we ourselves often put down the church, as we ourselves kind of focus ourselves on the people and their frailties. But that's not how God sees it. Remember, we want to see things, uh, as we saw back in verse 9, not from our human perspective and see uh, so-and-so and and they've got this problem and this person that, and we as we write off and cut off various people for whatever uh, judgment we propose, God doesn't see it that way. This is the, the body he has redeemed. This is the bride. This is the one he paid for with his blood. And this body has the potential and the power. And God doesn't see people for where they are now. And their weakness they're exhibiting now. He sees them for what potential they have. And what he designed them for. What he created them for. And when we see people with that perspective. For their potential rather than their problems. 
we can have a, a whole different level of long-suffering and, uh, and patience with them as we work to fulfill God's pleasure. So this height of Christ's glory is the head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead as he, for, for the church, that in all things Jesus Christ might have the preeminence in verse 18. In verse 19, for it pleased God the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell, that he should be the one who brings it all together, who, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the sustainer, the one for whom and in whom and by whom all things are. Having made peace, verse 20, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, you who were sometimes alienated, separated by your sin, and enemies in your mind by your thoughts, by your rebellion, by who you thought you were, and by what you chose and to do, and also by your wicked works. You who were in such an attitude of rebellion, he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh, Christ giving his body to die and to pay that price to be the ram that you, verse 22, can be presented to God holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, we just established that you're the ones, and he's talking about me, that was separated by sin, enemies in our thought life, and wicked in our actions, yet he's going to present us holy, unblameable, unreprovable. There's nothing that God is going to see in his sight, God's sight. There's nothing he's going to see that will condemn us. What a freedom we have from all shame, from all guilt, from all that would drag us down, that we can have that privilege to come to God and be free, holy, unblameable, unreprovable. What is the condition? Only this, that you need to continue in the faith. It's not being perfect, but continuing to trust to be settled, grounded, to have a firm foundation and that we've not moved away. Now that we've been translated to the kingdom of God, that we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It's dependent on our hope. This position of being holy, unreprovable, unblameable in a sight is dependent on our hope. That's why it's so important that we don't lose sight of the hope. A hope is still a future thing. Christ is not finished working in us. And as he's going to say here about this great mystery, verse 26, we already talked about Paul's joyful suffering as he serves the church. Because he wants to make them aware of this mystery. Verse 26, which has been hid from the ages and from generations. There's this, this thing people wanted to know and they couldn't. It was buried treasure. But now you and I can know it. It's made manifest plain to his saints 
that God wants to make known to you and I what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is an amazing thing. This is something glorious. This is something rich. This is something precious. This is something worth so much. This is it. What is it? Verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not your ticket to that glorious future, that hope of standing unreprovable, wholly blameless in his sight is in you. This, this Christ who created all the seen and unseen, he's in you. And because he's in you, that changes everything. That gives you a hope of being as Christ is the image of the invisible God. So send I you. So he sends you as his body to be the image of Christ. And he is working to that end. And so... Is he saying that I am already perfect? That I have already arrived? That I am already holy and unblameable? Well, in Christ's sight I may be, but I know that I am still have a lot of growing to do. Even as Paul is praying for them, you have love, but you need to grow. You need to know God's will. You need to walk worthy. You need to be fruitful in every good work. You need to be able to go through suffering with joy. There is growth involved. It's not saying I've arrived. No, Verse 28 says, that's why I'm preaching. Whom we preach, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I preach that and I warn every man. This isn't some once saved, always saved. Christ is in you. You can go do whatever you like because you're guaranteed. I warn every man and I teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect Now, the word perfect here means complete, mature, uh, having everything necessary, fulfilled, equipped in, in Christ Jesus. Because Christ is in you, you now have all the power, as we read in 1 Peter 1, to to live that life. You have all the power to grow in that chain in 1 Peter and that you can grow into maturity And how do you do that? How do you do that? Is this, is this, this isn't teaching positional Christianity. This isn't saying, okay, because, you know, I used to be, you know, condemned by sin, but because Christ died for me, I now have the position to be saved. It's saying there's a life, there's a fruit, there is action that's required. But why do we struggle so much? We're on to, Paul says, I also labor, striving according to, I hope you're reading this, because this isn't my words, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. How do we achieve that perfection, that maturity in Christ, the ability to 
to rejoice and be joyful and have the perspective to rejoice no matter what the trials. To have a life that's fruitful and pleasing to God. To have a love for even those who are unlovely. We need, notice there's a striving, I am acting, but it's he who's acting. He is working, and he's working in me mightily. This is the mystery. This is the part that people try to, to separate and, and make all kinds of errors. They say, you know, it's up to you to live a holy life, and then you live a life of frustration and guilt. It says, no, it's up to God to do it. You don't have to do anything, so you can live a life of licentiousness. No, both are here. Striving, you and I need to strive to enter in the narrow gate, but not on our own power. Striving according to his, God's, Jesus Christ's working who is in us, which has a powerful, mighty effect. So we surrender our will and we work in his power. And God does a change, a mighty, powerful change that the Christ in us is that hope that we will reflect Christ even as he reflects the Father. That we will be able to stand holy and unblameable And we will have the power to be joyful in whatever circumstances. This is a mystery I want to know. This is a mystery I cannot say I fully have lived out. It's one that I seek to understand and implement more in my life. But I know that there is a power and there is a hope in these truths that is transforming, that lifts me above vain religious striving, that lifts me above shallow living, that lifts me above uh, the woe is me uh, victim of my circumstances into a victor because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And that power is available to me that I can strive according to his working which works in me mightily. And that's the hope I want to give you. My dear brothers, is my dear friend who is striving to enter in and struggling and finding it so difficult. I want to give you the hope that it can be done. Not by your power, but by his. As we surrender our will, as we see what Christ has done rather than what we have done, as we see who Christ is rather than who we are, and as we strive according to his working, the mighty works of translating us from the power of darkness to the kingdom of his son is not only done, but continues to grow. As as that picture Daniel had of the man of the man's kingdom where we had the Babylonian kingdom was the head of silver and the Persians were the gold and so on all down to the feet of clay of the Roman corrupt government and then a stone a rock that was cut not with man's hand of a divine origin came and it smashed the human kingdoms to bits but it didn't stop there it grew it grew into a vast mountain And so this translation of this power of Christ in you smashes our human dominion. We have to surrender that, and it grows. Please, let it grow. 
the Christ in you, the hope of glory that works powerfully in you to give you a life that is full, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, fruitful, strength and glorious power, patience, long-suffering with joyfulness. May these be the completeness that we experience with his power and for his glory. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to once again meet in your house and hear from your words of life, and you've used your servant this morning to preach your word and give us guidance and example for our lives. We thank you for this infallible word you set out, and that we have it for our lives, and that we can turn to it in any time of need. We Thank you for 
this fellowship we share as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we thank you for this gift. And through, though many miles separate us, we can always share these bonds. We ask that you would bless this congregation be in our midst and may our time together be an honor and glory to you and to your name. We ask that you be with all those who are suffering, who are sick, afflicted, in hospital beds. Comfort and be near them and lay your healing hands on them where it be your will. We ask that you would be with those who, who are without the abundance we enjoy, who, who lack the most basic necessities, who are in war-torn lands, who, those who are persecuted for their faith. Be with them and, and help us to know where we can help and we can be of assistance to them. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth and, and set a perfect example. And though he had no sin, he went to the cross for our sins, and his shed blood gives us the chance of remission for sins and hope of life eternal. We ask that you'd be with us now in this lunch hour and bring us safely back together this afternoon. We ask this all in the name of your risen son, Jesus. Amen. Two hundred and seventy-eight, the one, one, three, and four. Thank you.
Brother Edmund asked me to uh, give a benediction at the end, and uh, I thought I'd take the opportunity because many of the things that he spoke about today was really universal for all mankind, and it affects every one of us to some or greater degree. Some of the themes that he brought up was God's control, his purpose in our lives, um, the fruit that we need to bear as believers that we have in our generation after Christ experienced something that none of the God's people have experienced to the fullness of, and that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that brings us to another theme, which is hope. Romans 8 says we are saved by hope, and hope that is seen is not hope. Um, and with that, I, and I'm sure you've read this too, um, those that have email, and that's why I wanted to read it, because those that do not have email, um, we received an email from the Freeman family, and everything that was said today, I thought this was just hitting bullet after bullet. And please bear with me, because that's another fruit of our being uh, born again, the patience that we heard of. Uh, I just want to read it because it, it really nails a lot of things that were said this morning. This is, um, they have a daughter in Maryland, is it? Now in hospital. She's been ill for years, a couple of years at least. Uh, she's often been mentioned. But this is what she wrote about her last um, update. Dear family of praying ones, the love extended to us and the battle mode prayers offered on our behalf are overwhelming. The Lord continuously meets us in our dark moments to bring us readily back to his light. We do not believe there is any earthly sorrow that does not have an unseen spiritual dimension. The Lord has given suffering in this intense physical way, and we believe it is to a great purpose. Are we willing to wait and trust? Some dear to us are struggling to continue to believe in prayer. As we wait on the Lord through this illness and through other trials and struggles plaguing our lives at present, our seemingly unanswered prayers are having a reverse effect on close observers whose confidence in and submission to the Lord is not settled. They watch and say, prayer does not do anything. What will be, will be. Looking at the losses that have occurred over the past months in health, in ministry, in relationships, in unattainable goals, circumstances would indicate that God is a passive observer to our pain. It is our spiritual battle. Satan deceitfully wants us to think that we should judge God's love by his giving to us what we ask for in the way we think best. He prefers us to think that the blessings of God are present if we have health, wealth, and a brand of peace. This is Satan's lie as surely as his words to Eve, you will not die but will be like God. Who can know the mind of God who sees the end of the, from the beginning? How can my myopic view comprehend how present dealings work together for the good of those who love him? When we take our proper position in relation to the Almighty, bended knee, when we trust him implicitly, when a consuming desire for his glory alone burns in us, his radiance is magnified and we know his blessing. We find the peace we seek, we uh, the promised peace that passes understanding. We obtain true wealth, the riches which we have in our hope in Christ Jesus and health. 
eternal life with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Oh, may we not waste the opportunities the Lord so graciously offers through the suffering. May he accomplish his great purposes in us. Last Saturday, we were rejoicing that Kara was having a rest from seizures. Then Monday afternoon, she developed a, a raging fever that sparked around another round. The fever of 103 plus lasted 24 hours, but the seizures went on for four days, multiple times a day, intense and of long duration, most lasting two hours, even the doctors were on edge. Thursday evening, as the third episode of the day began, and the seizing of her lungs once again choked off her breathing, Kara, in her silent pain, and I in agony, at her bedside cried, again to the Lord for mercy. In my mind's eye, I could see our Lord in his agony, on the cross struggling to breathe. Help her bear it, Lord, who bore all for us. It has been days on this cross, their cross. Please show us mercy. And it stopped. The Lord brought clarity to the minds of myself and the doctors. We arranged, rearranged her meds and she has been resting comfortably until this writing Saturday noon. Her legs are not yet ready to support her, but a wheelchair ride last night gave her the first break from the hospital bed and room in three weeks. Her smile is just as radiant as ever. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon us, as though some strange things were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job 42.2. Lovingly, in strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, Debbie and Kara from the Freemans. Now this is lived out Christianity. This is possible only because of the hope of glory that is in us, Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that None of us would despair, as Brother Edmund mentioned this early in his sermon, would not despair because our hope is in him. To him be glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.